Welcome to a live and active life, broadcasting encouragement to live your daily life with God's help and inspiration to reach for more of God by faith. Join Brenda Wolf for today's practical insights. Recently, we explored 12 qualities of noble character. Check it out. Your podcast app should make that available to you. Anyways, as we discussed the 12 qualities of noble character, we also discussed how critical it is to aim for excellence. In fact, I would go to add that people with noble character actually help to change the world. We need more noble character around the world. If noble character is that important, and since motives matter, how do you measure your motives as you work to increase your own noble character? That is the content of today's material. Life happens. It always is a challenge to know how to approach an issue, who to talk to, what to say. Action steps to help solve a problem. All of that with good motives and wisdom. Life gets complicated. Life gets messy. And sometimes it is hard to consistently adopt a solution-oriented approach while keeping motives in a place of integrity. Plato said, The measure of a man is what he does with power. That's an interesting place to start, the measure of a man, a woman, or even a child. It's what we do to gain and maintain a level of power that exposes the root of our motives. There's no question that every person needs a certain amount of power just to live. But after that is established, what motivates people to attain more? What motivates you? And how do you measure your motives? There's no denying it. Several factors affect motives more than others. To measure your motives, you need to look at contributing factors. We're going to look at four of those today. The first one we're going to examine is that perspective affects motives. Perspective is essential for a Jesus follower. This is hard in a broken and fallen world, especially when you are mistreated or have strong opposition against you. But perspective does affect motives. So it's only reasonable to say that Christ-like perspective is important to aim for. Another factor that really affects motives is desires. That's another root. Desires affect motives. Your wants, hopes, dreams, plans, even your needs are forces that weigh in on your motives. The question is, which of these forces should you listen to? Which of them represents the desires of Jesus? Another thing that affects motives is survival. Sometimes the reason a person keeps doing what they do is because they just want to get through, not give up. They want to make it to the other side of something. So, survival also affects motives. 
And then the last one we're going to suggest today is that love, caring, affects motives. The strong drive to protect, nurture, and defend another person is a powerful motive. It can propel a person to do things they otherwise would not. And FYI, this motive just happens to be one of God's strong motives for you. In fact, it's this particular factor, God's deep love for you, that provides the safety that you need to evaluate and measure your motives. How does that work? Let's just take a look. When God's love lands solidly in your heart, it changes you. It stabilizes and balances you. Courage is renewed and hope is restored. God's love is amazing. It's power, strong powered, and this strong power cord connects to your life. It surges through your soul and it binds your entire world into his care. God's power connects to your motives. That's good news. His good power helps you to set your perspective, purify your desires, enable your survival, and steady you with His love. Those are the four things we mentioned before that affect motives. Perspective, desires, survival, and love. You know that I like good questions, and good answers to good questions always helps a person move forward into an alive and active life. When you are tucked into God's love by faith, knowing that His love for you will never change, you feel protected enough to look deeper and to measure your motives. Love makes things better, safer. Things that felt threatening before don't matter so much anymore, so you can look at things. You can be honest about asking good questions and explore some good answers as you measure your motives. Well, here are some examples of some good questions that you might ask yourself as you explore how to measure your motives. Let's go through these. First of all, why do I do what I do? Another one is, what drives me underneath my choices? Do I feel insecure? What about thinking I'm always right and should be heard? Or maybe I just don't want to do certain things, but I say, oh, I'm too tired because that sounds better. What if I'm genuinely too tired, overwhelmed, or deeply discouraged? Then what? Who can you trust these days? Or here's another one. What's going to happen in the future days with everything such a mess? Another one is, do my motives match Jesus' motives? Or, are my desires pleasing to God? Or, do I consider God even to be my Father? Am I enjoying His love each day? How about this one? Am I moody or irritable? Does my heart match my words? Or what about this final one? Am I letting fear or resentment steal my joy? You can come up with a list of your own good questions and then pray and ponder so that you can provide good answers. 
But we are still left with how to measure your motives when you are mistreated. It's one thing to identify them, but then you've got to measure them. Even when you are treated poorly, and by the way, that's, that's the time that it's really hard to keep your motives in the right place. When you're treated poorly, slandered, attacked, but you know, you can still trust God's love and care. He will help you solve the problems and come out okay. But you must stay in Christ. So what is God's part in your mistreatment? If you stay in Christ, He will comfort you. He will heal you. And He gives you the power and the honorable responses you need, like Jesus has. And He works in your difficulty to do what only He can. So what's your part in mistreatment? Well, we're back to those four things we talked about before, those factors. It's yours to set your perspective, to purify your desires, to trust Him for your survival, and to let Him steady you with His love. In other words, God works and you work. Jesus' life gives a real, live example how to approach mistreatment and difficulties. If you study his life in the Gospels, you'll learn a lot about how to respond to human interactions. Peter learned from Jesus' example, and he offers some good responses as well in his words in 1 Peter 3, 15-17. Here's what he says. First of all, he says, Be prepared to answer everyone. How? With gentleness and respect. Those sound like pretty good words. But then he also says, he adds on to keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And then he closes off by saying, it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So he has a three-pronged approach. There is some additional good advice, though. Peter's advice directly addresses motives when mistreated, but there are more people who address mistreatment. For example, James, who is Jesus' brother, he also had some good advice. He said, pray. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's from James 5, verse 16. And then... In Matthew 18, 22, Jesus gives help. When you have been sinned against, he says, forgive again. How about Proverbs? The fourth chapter, 23rd verse adds more instruction, and this is about setting boundaries. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. In other words, Think well enough of yourself to protect your heart and do what you can to protect your whole person. After all, if God loves you enough to care for you, shouldn't you be doing the same thing for yourself? It is hard to be blameless, yet God wants you to aim for holy, righteous, and blameless. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 10 This takes willingness to measure your motives. You can't be holy, righteous, and blameless unless you are willing to measure your motives. 
Wanting results for hard work is normal. When you plant a crop, you look for harvest. When you start a new health program or practice, you look for better results. If you enter a business deal, you want profit. So many life endeavors are launched with specific outcomes in mind. So to get results with godly motives means you're going to dig deep and measure your motives because they matter. So how do you measure your motives? We already talked about good questions and answers, and those are appropriate. When you ask good questions and then provide good answers, you're being proactive and starting to measure your motives. Of course, that helps you to have an alive and active life. But there, there are more uh, questions and thoughts that you need to entertain. So I'm going to give you a few more questions that are designed to get at underlying motives so that you can actually identify and measure them. If you stay connected to God's love through his strong power cord, like we talked about, and as you explore these questions and then start to answer them, you don't need to be afraid. You can be safe. These questions, as you answer them, they may reveal some concerns, some insecurities, fears, pride, or even weaknesses. Here you go. And this is actually your application for the content today. I have 11 questions that I would like you to consider. Number one, do I care too much what people think of me? That's the fear of man. Number two, have I sacrificed my reputation into God's care, trusting He will represent me well even when I've been slandered? Three, am I more concerned about getting in trouble than I am about doing what is right and developing godly character? Hmm. Number four, is laziness the reason I don't properly plan or carry out my responsibilities? Do I not want to be accountable for those things. Number five, am I focused, alert, and aware of things and people around me? Or have I kind of checked out because I don't want to deal with those things or because I've been hurt before? Number six, is my greatest motivation to please God and to bring joy to His heart? Or are my eyes only on myself? Number seven, am I practicing the fruit of the Spirit to build better patterns while asking God to transform my character as I trust and obey Him? It's that whole idea again of I work, He works, and we're partners in righteousness. Do I express gratitude for this arrangement that He has put into place? Eight, do I care about a world filled with lost souls? Am I doing anything to reach individuals in the I generation that I'm part of? Is my time, money, and skill set being used to reach people for Jesus? After all, why am I even on this globe? 9. Does my life epistle story have a theme of surrender to Jesus? Do I want His power to be demonstrated in my life? Number 10, what things do I need to change so my heart is better aligned with God's heart? And number 11, do I love Jesus first, most, and best? And then people next.
I have a really short summary. As you entertain those 11 application questions, just think about this here. That as you better understand the power that God has given you to live an alive and active life, you will also discover the measure of who you are. The content for this podcast has come from my book, More Epistles for an I Generation, Relevant in a Digital Age. Please check it out in our bookstore at our website. You've been listening to Brenda Wolf with Alive and Active Life. Visit our website at www.aliveandactivelife.org. Your web-based home for resources, including books and eBooks, libraries of articles, podcasts, shareable images, and more as you navigate life's challenges and issues. Sign up on our email list to stay current with the tools you need to be the person God designed, living an alive and active life.